screedle deedle a doodly dee a screedle doodly doo Now let's get to talking, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get to the gutter talk portion of the show. Gutter talk! Gutter talk! Where we talk about all the stuff that happens in the white spaces of the comic book page in and around the world of pop culture, ladies and gentlemen. This segment is brought to you by History (laughs) of the Marvel Universe. But not in the sense that they have donated to the Patreon. <laughs> this is the uh, direct market variant of the cover by <laughs> Artie Rodriguez. Um, it's Treasury Size Edition. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, it's a pretty good book. I think you guys should all jump in. It's a great book. And you should... I've never heard of it before. No, you should talk about it more. Well, it's six issues written by Mark Wade. With our- <laughs> so we're going to get into. Um... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> JD JD only has room for hero complex plugs, not for plugs for anything else. Okay, so purchase it at Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex, located in. Nicely done, nicely done. Yes, he can order things for you if they are comic related. Most certainly, go to Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex in Maniunk. Open now. Yeah, don't ship them out. Probably not right now, right? I don't know. It's Sunday. He's opens on Sundays. The Lord he can't noon. be open. Oh open yeah, this is now in the yeah. broad general sense that he is doing business. At he'll, least he'll open the door for you. Yeah, when you're supposed that's to his slogan. Pick, come on, why'd you let me get us off the rails? <laughs> Let's rail it. <laughs> okay all right we're not going to go there well, well we are in the gutter talk so there we go all right ladies and gentlemen so this is where we talk about all the things that are happening in and around the world of pop culture a couple of topics that we wanted to speak about and i'm going to let brandon start us off because he always has oh. you know strong viewpoints right. about how we should start off what is the first topic you would like to put on the table brandon go I think we should do the the good news. We'll start with the good news, and then yeah, we'll go progressively worse, in my opinion. So we'll start with the good news that um that Noel has because I don't remember the exact quote, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I mean uh, the, the good news about hiring at DC is what I'm talking about. Uh, I'll find you know what? Keep vamping. I'll pull it up. So at DC, I don't know if you know, comic book company. They they make a little known <laughs> character named Batman and Superman. Keep going. Um, keep going. You know what? A, a, a different version of this vamping would be how important it would be to have, yeah. well, I mean, just diversity and, and right. inclusion. Yeah. I can do that if you Go want. On. Yeah, do that Do that kind of vamping. I'm going to keep looking. <laughs> so um, DC has recently hired some new people in, their, in the higher-ups of DC. I'm not exactly sure about positions, but we wanted to talk about how good it is that comics in general are becoming more diverse. Um, like the people who are not just in the comics, but the people who are making the comics are becoming more diverse. And of course that will hopefully lead to better representation in the books. Mm-hmm. And that's good for everyone. And so we just wanted to, I guess, applaud DC for their newest hire, whose name I forget right now. Also IDW. All right. So I got it. I got it. So uh, for the first time in history, two black people are headlining uh, two, uh, two of the top five comic publishers. So, um, 
in IDW Publishing has hired Nashi Marsham, Nachi Marsham as its new publisher, taking primary responsibility for the line. Likewise, DC Comics has also created a new position for Daniel Cherry, a veteran of the esports world, um, to report to Pamela Lifford, who he's essentially replacing Dan DiDio. Yeah. He's yeah. going to be doing a lot of the day to day publishing that Jim Lee doesn't have to do to focus on the larger brand. So you've got these two positions, uh, very high-level uh, uh, editors and publishers in the large corporations, and they're people of color. But to Brandon's point, at DC explicitly, um, before that, what what like preceded this, Jim Lee, obviously a person of color at the highest level of DC publishing. But then also they just hired uh, the all the entire line is being controlled by two women now. Right. One right, who right. comes from the graphic novel world or young the YA world and one that has been promoted from the ranks of publishing uh, from being in the industry for decades. So you've got like pure comics, pure graphic novels, both women reporting to a two people of color. And it's like, yeah, diversity behind the scenes can provide us better stories and, and more representation. So it's good is, news. Is the new DC hire, is that a creative position or like a business position which or both of those create a little bit of both okay um yeah so like the yeah. main creative comes from the two or like it's decided by the two women and then they go up to daniel cherry who reports to pamela littleford and um jim lee I think. yeah oh i thought he was above jim lee he's, no he's no. kind of like Right here with Jim Lee. Jim Lee's here. I got. He's it. like right here. You're right. And the the women that you speak of, DC editorial will be headed up by Marie Javins, currently executive editor of Global Publishing Initiatives, and Michelle Wells, executive editor of DC uh, Children's Young Adult um, line. Um, so those are the two women who basically are. are it's it's almost like a four-headed monster now with all with all of them for the most part, um, and I think it's smart. I think it, while it, while it's proving challenging for some comic book stores and for some comic book buyers, the changes that DC has been make, making behind the scenes. Um, editorially and business-wise, you know, as far as like their distribution and everything like that, are, are changes that are geared to accepting where the world of the of comic books is moving into in the 21st century and beyond. And while they, of course, they're going to have some bumps in the road along the way. I think these are more thoughtful changes um, as opposed to something that really slapdash, uh, you know, just like, oh, to throw in at the wall to see what sticks. I think they're actually being mm -hmm. very strategic about what they're doing. And, and, and I applaud it. I know that for a fact that um, there are some comic book stores right now who are trying to figure out exactly how they want to work with DC moving forward and that is challenging for them because it, it, it does go against the grain as the way that the business model that they've been built up on. But I think once they find that rhythm, they will realize that this, it, this is just, this is the future. This is the future of the comic book business. 
learn it, yeah, I, it, accept it. On the so two things, um, Samuel David in the chat put uh, wasn't Axel Alonso a person of color? First of all, I'm not sure, but this isn't a first person of color kind of story. This is a multiple people of color in higher echelons of, and, and the frequency is the story, not the got there first kind of aspect of it. It's the fact that there are multiple now. There never really was at any time in history more than just like one person of color at a higher creativity or creative or publishing position. Right. It was usually just like one. Um, I actually, wasn't, I wasn't Christopher Priest, the first black editor in like 1979 or something like that. I had read that. Like, yeah, he was an editor for Marvel Comics, which is like their first black editor mm-hmm. in 1979 of all time. Like, this and has been also, incredibly slow progress. Yeah, we should also reiterate, we're specifically talking about like big publishers, because I know people are probably going to bring up Milestone and things like that. That was an imprint, though. Like, yeah, that was no, an imprint yeah. at, at, yeah, it, it, what they, they were in charge of their small corner of stories. Right. They did not have um, cancel and, and re-up kind of Power. powers, right? Yeah. Right. Um, right. But, but then the, the other thing, uh, well, I forgot my second point. So <laughs> carry on. Uh, Brandon had brought up, we were having a discussion about a particular book, I think, and I don't remember what it was, but that uh, having the people uh, behind the scenes with different perspectives allows for new kinds of stories to, to be introduced, right? Like things that, that you don't see from a particular perspective are still interesting to a wide range of those perspectives, right? Like the, the, well, the matrix was done as it turns out as a trans allegory. Are you sure you're not, you're not confusing Brandon and me because that was the kind of point I was trying to make with um, the current Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stories. I think, I think, um, yes, I am. And Bre- but Brandon did say like having people behind the scenes is the yeah, key I to a, it. A, yeah. a little. I think the last time I was on, or maybe the time before that, I was talking about how uh, you brought me the ocean is written by a gay yeah. man. Mm. That was. I think that's what Ryan's thinking of. Mm. And how yeah, because I, of the. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just saying like yeah, because he's getting like writing the book, he was able to include things that are more um, realistic to the experience of a gay kid. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, and and like to my point too, like the the stupid <laughs> the stupid turtles book <laughs> is incredibly emotional because it's about people not feeling or people going through incredible changes and and change like mutating into like these animal half animals and it, the book is about no longer being you in your body and it's written by a trans woman. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a Which lot a, of yeah. There's a lot of emo- like that's a clear metaphor between the two experiences that she's able to imbue into this very straightforward story about being turned into a monster or or something else and then finding the beauty in that because the whole the whole first arc ends with them being able to go to their first live concert because everyone looks like them now like it's a very emotional book and it's fantastic but that kind of perspective would not exist if the writer did not have that to share you know yeah, and I think that I think that what this is is just the continuing um, uh, 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 change overall in the whole comic book landscape. For the long time, comic books were, um, you know, let, let's face it, the the land of the white man giant. This is where they called home. You know. Um, 
Whereas in your world of, I think one of the reasons why anime became the force that it is in pop culture now is that slowly people started realizing that the storytelling there was a little bit more deeper, wasn't playing down to the audience. Um, It was going into more interesting and thoughtful um, avenues and, and, and perspectives in the type of story that it was telling. And that anime perspective was then dovetailing into American animation, which you saw in, with, you know, Avatar, Legend of Korra, Steven Universe, um, Kiba and the Wonder Beasts, and, and so many other things that are now, you know, populating the, the streaming world. Um, and it is comic books in order to continue in their relevance you can't just keep building off of the nostalgia of what happened in the past marvel cinematic universe became the reason the 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 big thing that it was because it's the first time like oh my god our comic books are coming to life well now it's time for our comic books they've come to life now it's time for them to grow up and And catch up and catch up with the world Let's not forget also that like the comics, a lot of the major archetypes were created in either the run up to or a little bit after World War Two by mm-hmm. Jewish people who were a marginalized group at that time. You know, so again, an outside the mainstream perspective produces something that's interesting to the mainstream. You know, it, it can tap into these themes that are common to humanity, but are just maybe more recognized by people who aren't. Um, in the the Capron seat of society. Yeah, I, I think Brandon put it perfectly. It's just like now it's time for it to represent life as opposed to just um, honor the past. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it could do both. It could honor the past, but still represent how life is now, which is what good art does. Yeah. So, so well done, DC Comics. That's what yeah. I say. And somebody that did point it. out that his initials, the the I forget his name already, Daniel Cherry. Daniel Cherry. Daniel Cherry. Yeah. DC. Oh, <laughs> he's he's not a real person now. No, I uh, you know what I remember the other thing I was I was gonna say before, like DC, good job, but it's it's still like the first year of their um distribution experiment. That's and true. I'm sure JD can share a bunch of stories of yeah. how unsmooth it's been and mm. very very frustrating because i feel like they they're not prepared to do it i mean a year from now they'll probably work out the kinks and it'll be great but it's still a struggle and it's still pretty fucking annoying for a lot Only of retailers i can think about that is that was before these people i think when didio left like that kind of there was like they were unseated like they were all kind of you know nebulous and i think now that they have like a spe- like specific people in power, I think I hope that everything's going to run a little smoother now. That's I my mean, hope. There, none of those people have anything to do with. Well, I mean, that's not true. None of those people have any kind of like power to make the distribution model better because it's an inefficiency problem. Yeah, like they can over time, but this is not going to be a snap your fingers now. Oh, DCBA or now UCS and Lunar know exactly what they're doing. Like, no, it's still going to be like a year of. Mm-hmm. Um, a frustrating customer service and mismanaged shipments and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, fingers crossed. Does Daniel Cherry also, does he have any sort of genre 
experience or even esports video games. For it. He oh, said, um, he said in the article that like he, he really likes comics and like he grew up reading them like with his father or something like that. So, okay. yeah, who knows I mean, how much what that actually means though. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I hope it's very good. What's our next story that we wish to go into? Um, we started high, and now we're going low. Brandon, where did you want to go next? I was thinking we could stick with DC, and uh, we were going to talk about um, Ray Fisher being in the news. Yeah. Ray Fisher, who was who cyborg in the Justice League uh, movie that Zack Snyder, Joss Wheaton, Frankenstein of a film, uh, Ray Fisher has in the years since, he's been kind of like um, stirring the pot a little bit, saying that the, the, uh, there was some behavior and um, malfeasance, if you will, that was done on the set of Justice League that he was, did not appreciate. And he's been stirring the pot. He's been... Um, calling it out uh it, it seems like he what has been happening overall in the world with there being uh, more of a an appreciation for the black lives that matter it seems like he was like kind of like almost using that as a background upon which to say and yeah justice league was like you know when we were filming that movie was not cool and they didn't do my character right and all this other stuff that was happening so which led warner media uh who is the parent of dc comics and dc entertainment and and the creators of that film property to launch an investigation into these allegations that Ray Fisher was putting on the table. It's like, hey, we, we take what you're saying seriously. Let's look into it. Matter of fact, let's start with Ray. Can we have a sit down with you and so we can find out exactly what you are talking about? Because a lot of his allegations have been more and more, more or less nebulous, kind of like putting it out there as almost if he didn't want to tell the story until he could tell it to the proper authorities. So the proper authorities that came a knocking and Ray Fisher apparently was hiding underneath his bed and has not answered the call. It's, okay. it's, it's a little bit more than that too. Um, sorry, Brandon, the, like you're skipping steps that make him look even more kind of like evasive. So, it started with um, Hamada, the head of DC Film, who wasn't even in the job during all of this. During Justice sit, League, like right. the, he was asked to sit down with with Ray to or call. Nobody sits down in the same room anymore um, to call him and, and talk to him about this and assure him that they'll start an investigation. So they talk about it. Um, Ray gives him his version of the story, which to Hamada, uh, his retelling of it was that it boiled down to creative differences. Like the director and the, the director on the day has the final say. And if you didn't like what was happening, then maybe, maybe it was uh, an aggressive form of that. However, we take all this seriously. So we're going to start an investigation. Ray didn't like that. And he said, Hey, I refuse unless it's a third party investigator and not one of the ones that you have in house. Mm -hmm. They bickered about that a little bit. Warner relented and was like, okay, it'll be a third-party investigator, somebody that's not related to us or you, to investigate the claims of abuse that happened on set. Um, in the meantime, Ray uh, Cyborg mentioned 
that they had this meeting and the head of DC film told him to ease up on Jeff Johns. Mm. Like you could throw John Berg under the bus and you could throw Joss Whedon under the bus, but ease up on Jeff Johns. And he said, he will not like defiantly was just like, I will not. So now DC like based off of that claim, DC released an official statement saying we did have this meeting. We did offer investigations. We did not say that whatsoever. And he has not like we have a third party investigator or, or no, we found out we could not find any credibility of his claims originally. However, we still started an investigation with a third party and he's not returning their calls. So, and then they just dropped the mic and walked off. He has responded to that. He said that he got off the line with the investigator and he had to end the interview early before going into detail with him because he had another person on the line as a witness, which um, Fisher wasn't made aware of before the call. And so he wanted to have someone else on the call with him as well. And he said he's claiming that's why he wanted to get off is because he wanted to make sure that he was he was secure. Like if DC was going to bring a, an extra person in as a witness, he wanted to have someone else. That's what he said. And he also says like he always said that he would want to vet the investigator before disclosing anything. So he's claiming that this isn't anything that this is just Warner Bros. trying to discredit him. You get to choose your you get to choose your investigator. That's what he wants. Uh, then yeah. also Isn't too, the whole like the point of a third party is that you are neither side is really right. invested yeah. in that person. And I I do find it difficult to believe that during uh, like a super lawyer vetted investigation or or like a de- uh, deposition, they didn't let him know that there's another person on the line. So yeah. why didn't and he have a lawyer to begin with? Yeah, it, to me, some of this sounds like there could easily be stuff that Joss Whedon did that was shitty to do on set, you know? But also, it that being true, it kind of also sounds like Ray Fisher, who was not known at all before this movie, right? Totally um, not widely a, known. Right. He was a theater, he's a theater actor, right? Okay. And so like this maybe, was his first big thing. Yeah, so it's kind of like, all right, so he comes in and, I, I understand being upset that you were one of the focuses of the movie and then that changes. I would not like that either, but it's not necessarily um, unwarranted. Like, obviously the movie didn't turn out that great, but Joss Whedon may have just been like, I don't, I want to go in a different direction, but also could have been a jerk about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the way that like <laughs> Jeff Johns, the, the, talk from jeff johns it kind of seemed like look man either either you're in the movie or you're not this is what the movie's gonna be and not necessarily uh, anything like an actionable thing i don't know it, yeah. it's hard to say exactly what what happened <laughs> rob Petey said uh, no character in that movie had focus that's very <laughs> true that's very true um i don't know it's just the mo- um he has so Ray Fisher, all of this too apparently started when DC reached out to him like two years ago at this point about being in the Flashpoint movie when it was still mm-hmm. under a different like two two different directors, um, and then that's where I kind of all like led and stemmed in his his difficulty with that process. Mm-hmm. Um, he has. It's weird. It, it, like I don't want to. I don't want to potentially victim blame 
So please stop me if it starts to sound like that. But like just from a 10,000 foot view of this, it seems as though he's made more of a splash as a personality with this incendiary stuff than as the guy who played Cyborg. True. And that's a that's yeah. an intoxicating thing, right? I, like, and it wasn't, it didn't just start a couple weeks ago. This has been like two years worth of Comic-Con visits and appearances kind of um, doing the whole Snyder Cut thing and the whole um, fuck Joss Whedon and blah, blah, blah. And then just recently it was revealed to be maybe more pernicious or maybe more terrible or maybe abusive. So it's just the pattern is like a pattern of escalation more than it is speaking out, it seems, from the top. So it's like, this is weird. I don't know who to believe because your main witness has been shown as difficult or evasive. And then what? So you're supposed to trust a large corporation who are yeah. really only ever in it for themselves? Like, right. who do I believe? I don't know. Well, I, I, I actually, can see it going either way. I, I tend to believe both of them in that Ray Fisher believes he may have been treated badly on the set and thinking that he's being treated badly on the set may also color some of the other things he sees going on the set because he's looking at it through that lens of they're jerking me over. Oh, so probably what they're doing over there to that person, they're probably jerking them over too. And that actually may not be the case. I don't know. Um, and Warner Media, it's easy to believe that, you know, they've got their thumb up their ass and don't know what they're doing because so many, so many times they've had their thumb up their ass and not knowing what they're <laughs> doing. So it's easy for me to believe that. But the bigger narrative, unfortunately, I have to say, is that I believe that Ray Fisher is a guy who, no matter what claim of fame he had that got him this role, there's no denying that this was going to be the biggest thing mm -hmm. on his plate. Yeah. They sign him up knowing that he's going to make a cameo in one movie then be a big part of another movie and it's supposed to lead into a solo movie and him locking on feeling like, you know, oh my God, the next 10 years of my life are set and then slowly watching that totally disintegrate and then for whatever reason, because I can't speak to the man's talent or anything like that because to be honest, he didn't show have a lot to show in the what we saw. He's unable to, to turn that role for whatever, say of it what you will, in Justice League into something else. We literally, at least as far as I know, have not seen him in yeah. front of the camera in anything else. If, he, if we have, it was a blink and you missed him because I totally missed him. He has literally it's not done anything else you know, so you're watching that and then you're and then you're watching my whole world that was set up falling apart. You're also watching that this other co-star who maybe had a slightly bigger profile than me and Ezra Miller 
them seeming to bend over backwards to still kind of make him a part of the DC universe, that they're still moving forward with his movie. They found a way to dovetail, shove him into the CW to keep him kind of relevant. Hey, they... Why couldn't I have shown up on Black Lightning? I'm a, I'm, you know, why couldn't y'all do something with me? Y'all got me signed. Do something with me. Slowly watching that. And then just being a little, the sour grapes just getting more sour and sour with this guy. And he don't know which, which way to go. Unfortunately, that's the narrative I, I'm seeing being played out in front of us. Rob Pady, there, real it, quick, it, no, Rob Patey said it's sadly okay. about money. If there's cash to be had in embracing a narrative, they will. If there's not, they won't. It's numbers, not personal. So, uh, like, have you ever been in a in a fib that's turned into a lie, that's turned into a whole thing, like a defining moment? Yeah. If, let's say that he felt he was being mistreated, but from the perspective of the studio, legality, the whole nine, it was just creative differences and you're good because this has been escalated to such a thing for him and his whole persona and narrative right now. If every single stage of it, it's proven to be like, it's not abuse. It's just unfortunate. It's not abuse. It's just unfortunate as the person making the claim. How do you pivot from that? You got to double down, right? Like how do you like, it would take, the largest piece of humble pie to own your misinterpretation of it and your, your piece of the escalation. Mm. However, um, all that other stuff. Yeah. Why, why hasn't he been around? Is, is he difficult to work with? Did they spread rumors about him for everything else to, to keep him from getting work? Like, the dude's claim to fame is a is a is a cut of a movie that didn't exist until a year ago and um, a podcast. Yeah. And also add into like everything that Len said and that you're saying, just some moments of harshness from Joss Whedon on set, like maybe yelling when you really shouldn't be yelling, or Jeff John saying, Look, man, this is the way the movie is now. I'm yeah, sorry, but like nice. if you, yeah. or or even saying like because uh, I I dimly remember he said something like look if you make a stink about this your career is gonna take a hit or be over right that could also just be saying look <laughs> actors that make big stinks about when their movie doesn't go their way don't tend to get hired for more movies and but throw in everything that Len was saying about how. You're you're going to be this huge star, or if not huge star, you've got multiple movies on your docket, and now nothing. And not unfairly, those things can really start to seem like abuse. Probably, you yeah. know, um, it, it is like a charitable view. And Samuel David mentions also Flash is a way bigger character than Cyborg in general, which yeah. is accurate. I mean, Cyborg has strong potential, but studios, you know, they're going to make a movie maybe about a character that has been consistently popular and had multiple when, TV shows. When was the last time we had a cyborg ongoing? It was a couple of years ago, right? And it was only 20 or so issues, I think. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember that? It was, it was like post New 52. I think it was DCU. And then I think it ended with Rebirth. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's like, more of a team character. And it's not that he couldn't be. I think, you know, he's... He's, he's popular he's, in the cartoons and that's about it. But they've been... 
he is very popular in the cartoons, though. I mean, mm-hmm. he is, you know, like, he is a strong part of every well, Teen Well, it's also because, like, they took him out of the Teen Titans, and a lot of people know him as a Teen Titan, so it's yeah. hard well, to I mean, there. New 52 made him a part of the original yeah. seven, right? It always like, was a little... He's a founding member of the JLA now. Right, which is what yeah. people kind of have a problem with. People are like, no, we want him, we like him more with, like, yeah. Dick and Wally and everything. I was thought of him recently. He's like he's almost like the snapper car a bit of the Justice League <laughs> New Fifty Two. Like wow. he's he's there. He's way more useful than Snapper Car is. Like he's a hero, but he doesn't seem like he's not an adult like the other ones. And he never really in the New Fifty Two seemed to take on like an equal position well, with the other characters. Um, the New Fifty Two made him a a glorified MacGuffin. Yeah. The only thing True. that made him yeah. special in the New 52 was the fact that he was of uh, apocalyptic technology, of a right. mother box. So he was constantly just a plot point. Right. Like they never characterized him. He was just a, another plot point. Like during the yeah. the Forever Evil, he was a plot point to be taken yeah. over by Grid. During the Apocalypse War, he was a plot point because he was apocalyptic technology. Like yeah. even now in Deceased, He's just a MacGuffin to spread the yeah. anti-life virus. Like people aren't using him in the yeah. comics, let alone. Whereas in he had gotten to media. like pre-New 52, he had gotten to be like an elder statesman of the yeah. younger generation. Yeah, and he was the Titans. He right? stands out so well in Teen Titans and then putting him in Justice League. It, it, I don't know. I think he's so identified as being a teenager that he wasn't uh didn't like fully vibe with what the Justice League, like the seven greatest heroes kind of thing. I don't know. That's not anything to do with Ray Fisher. <laughs> no, I, I think it's a yeah. mismanagement of the character altogether. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, if you tell me this character is incredibly important, yeah. show me. Yeah. Don't just use them as a plot point, right? Yeah. Like, tell me a story. Yeah, uh, Samuel Davis said that uh, he liked him in mm. Justice League. Um, which Rob Patey says is now the new new 52. Um, I actually liked, even though it was along those same lines, I appreciated what they did with Cyborg on uh, Young Justice and reverting mm. him back to a yeah. teenager, which is where he belonged, rebuilding up his, his character um, and delving into that uh, a little bit more. I appreciated that so much more. That, that was the first really while not wholly original but the first interesting thing they've done with that character in a very very long time mm. yeah i mean team titans go is outstanding <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we're just i i mean we're just gonna see how this plays out because i mean for all intents and purposes he's going to have the biggest movie of his career mm. come out Again, in September of 2021. Yeah. Uh, on HBO Go, HBO Max. Sorry. Mm. So, like, I mean, no matter, and that ship's not sailing. No matter how this all, or that, that ship's not not sailing. Oh, fuck it. And you know what? No matter no, how this I, all I, like comes out. I I I, I will also uh, pivot a little bit. Another interesting thing they've done with Cyborg is also on DC Universe now on HBO Max. Because he's a member of Doom Patrol. And he's interesting in Doom Patrol as well. And the guy's a better actor than Ray Fisher. Maybe because he's giving (laughs) him a little bit more to do. 
but I certainly believe him. You know why? Because he looks he looks like Cyborg from Teen Titans Go brought to life because he's a little shorter, a uh, little bit more stockier as opposed to the traditional Cyborg who is actually a taller, you know, m- more, you know, like athletic looking uh, guy. The Doom Patrol one looks like the most f- popular Cyborg, which is the Teen Titans Go Teen Titans version. And it's great. Should we move on? I gotta watch that. Let's move on. What's your final story, uh, Brandon? There's a big boom at Kickstarter. Yay. So Boom <laughs> Boom Comics is doing puns, a Kickstarter. Puns, 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 puns. Berserker? Yeah, Berserker. Keanu Reeves' comic Berserker. Um, uh, boom Studios is doing a Kickstarter for it, and people are not happy. Why aren't they happy? I can guess why, but I want you to tell us. I mean, I don't necessarily have the article up, but I know what I've heard. You want me to just go or no? Do you have it? Uh, I don't have the article, but I've, I've like, can we say it's written, the, the book itself is written by um, Matt Kent and Keanu Reeves with art by Ron Garney. It's already been solicited. It's coming out next month in issues. Mm-hmm. This Kickstarter is only for the first three trades to be pre-purchased coming out in September, 2021, April, 2022 and September, 2022. So you're essentially pre-purchasing the graphic novels for a book that's coming to stores in issues starting this month. Go. It's dumb. I hate it. I don't like it. I, so the controversy itself is what? Like mm. this is this is already one of the biggest um pre-ordered books for Boom. And and it's already been solicited, it's already going to shops. Right. So now to have a Kickstarter campaign for uh the book in the future, I get that it's it's kind of shoring the funds to complete the story yeah but it was already successful and the way that they've structured the kickstarter it almost it completely excludes retailers so a lot of kickstarters will have like a retailer p- tier where like you get a, a discount or this many or this many to like sell them in the stores but there's literally only one or two things that are special for the kickstarter all they're doing is taking potential sales from stores mm-hmm. because you're just buying the hardcover or the, the trade as is. Rob Patey uh, says that boom is using Kickstarter to cover their operating, com- operating expenses, operating expenses. Yeah. And, and that's exactly how I see it. This is boom using Kickstarter as a way to put some guaranteed money into uh, Keanu Reeves' pocket. And, and that's where I'm a boo on. You've got Keanu Reeves. All right, Keanu Reeves has made $20 million a movie <laughs> for the last 10, 15 years, all right? Maybe not for every movie, certainly for those uh, 
Matrix movies and the re-releases and the residuals. He's been making money hand over fist for John Wick. Keanu Reeves makes money. Keanu Reeves is also noted as one of the more one of the best guys in Hollywood. Everyone loves Keanu Reeves. So who doesn't want to do business with Keanu Reeves? You've got him signed on to do this comic book, which you know somehow will become a movie. And you want us to help you pay him. No, pay the man. Just pay him. Yeah, it's 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 weird. It's weird in a gross way. So like I I I love kickstarting books. I think it's actually really fun, especially when it's things that are exclusive to Kickstarter or putting money directly to the artist. Like if there's things that I could order through JD, I will. If there's stuff that's on Kickstarter that is more like direct to the artist or or whatnot, that's awesome. I read through the whole thing and I was like, wait, this is the same goddamn book I've already ordered. And you're providing me literally nothing other than a different cover for the trade that's going to come out. Mm -hmm. And it's not even a cheaper cost. If these trades are $20, like it's, the 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 tier is I think sixty eight dollars, not counting shipping and handling for the first three trades with an exclusive cover. That's over twenty dollars for each trade paperback. That's not hardcover. That that's not cheaper than stores. You're not giving me anything. You're actually overcharging me. And then they've got these ridiculous tiers of like, you can get it in a hardcover for eighty five dollars. Oh, you can get it in slipcases like like little absolutes for I don't know what do you what do you guys think. It's fucking ridiculous. Like, and people are eating them up. Like I was looking at the the Kickstarter and it it was completely funded in like an hour. And now it's up to like $500,000 or close to it for these hardcovers and trade paperbacks that will anyway be uh, in your stores. And there's, like I said, there's no retailer tier. There's no like, there's no benefit for the retailer to kickstart one of these like tiers to get stock by that for through them via just the normal channels and diamond. It's annoying. I, I thought that like, I think that the, the controversy is a little much, but we should call them out on their shit. Like you, you're sitting on a gold mine and you're expecting us to fund the mm. rest of your gold mine. Like, well, it's the, same, yeah. it's the same thing when big you, you, you hear that there are stars out there who are doing Kickstarters for, their, for some of their projects. I think uh, Spike Lee got called out for doing, I, I think it was a Kickstarter or Indiegogo for some movie uh, project that he was doing. There have been other people who've been called out, called out on their ish. So this one, so Keanu's going, going through Boom um, and then... And boom is uh, Rob Patey like pointed it out. They probably shorted themselves signing Keanu, so this is to expand their margins. I mean, it's like it's it's total BS, and it's total is a total bastardization of what the whole idea, the premise behind Kickstarter and Indiegogo and and these crowdfunding platforms was. It, it, the whole idea of them was so that the layman, the lay artist, could. Uh, reach out to their fan base and potentially beyond to help fund their creative endeavors. But 
it, but that was based on the premise that for one reason or another, you cannot afford to do this in, in, in a sustainable way. So you're asking for your fan base to help you on it for this to happen with Ke- with Keanu Reeves signed on it. Keanu, if you really want to put out a comic, Keanu, yo, for real, if Keanu Reeves wanted to put out a comic, Keanu Reeves could put out a comic. He don't need Boom <laughs> Studios to do it. You know what I mean? So he damn sure don't need my money to do it. So get the fuck out of here. I just, I, I, you know what? I would, I would even be more, I would be even more aligned with it if it was cheaper than cover price, which it could easily be cheaper than cover price, and. They're only selling the exclusives. Right. Leave the normal trade dress or version to the shops and the bookstores because that's going to happen anyway. Mm. Kickstarter is supposed to be ancillary and or supportive, not a shop. Like they'll even they even say in their in the, on their website they are not a store. They are a funding platform. Mm. So Boom is treating it like a pre-order store, and it's annoying. So I don't inherently have any problem with the idea of a major corporation saying, hey, if people are interested in this, pay us for it and we'll make it, right? Kickstarter, like, the issue for me comes in if there's a, uh, now the original intent of Kickstarter can't happen anymore because uh, small creators are edged out on Kickstarter for you know, for whatever reason, I don't see a, an easy way to stop that other than like self-policing or Kickstarter could say, look, if you're a, if you're a company, then you can't form here. There, there must be some, there must be some legal reason that that's difficult to do. And also I think it's important. Um, all of the bad stuff, the retailer stuff, I, I don't disagree. Nobody is being forced to pay for this. You know what I mean? The people who are plunking down crazy amounts of money for something that I would never pay $500 for, they can do that. You know what I the, mean? Yeah. The, I, read, I read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It does not, at least that I can remember, once say it is mm. a single-issue comic book available at retailers mm. at all. It's mm. on the Kickstarter. It is, it is expressly uh, promoted as... Yeah. A series, constantly mm-hmm. keep saying a series of graphic novels. They do not mention whatsoever that this has already been pre-solicited and coming mm-hmm. to shops in single issue format starting next month. And like, that's underhanded. They are completely thing. ignoring yeah. the the direct market and sell and pre-selling the trade paperbacks. Well, also the idea that if Kickstarter is for things to get funded, if it already exists or will exist elsewhere independent of Kickstarter. That's kind of unseemly, you know. A, com- a comparative, a comparative Kickstarter is one that was just also done, um, or th- that was just also launched by Scott Snyder and Tony S. Daniel. Mm-hmm. They're doing a creator-owned book for Image mm-hmm. starting next year. The idea for the Kickstarter is fund the first arc of this book, mm-hmm. right? Like they want to earn, they they want to pay, they want to prepay the staff for the book before sales come out, and they're not taking a paycheck. So the idea mm-hmm. of the Kickstarter is. If you fund this uh, this Kickstarter, you will receive the first issue. But it's not just the issue so much as it's an oversized hardcover script book of the first issue. So it's right. just pencils on one page and full script on the other page. So it's an artifact hmm. that doesn't underhand the sales and direct market. It's, it's an artifact that you could purchase singularly 
to fund the book mm. for the people that are working on it. Mm. I think that's a good thing that's because exactly. you're not under, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a great idea. And it's something that's only available through the Kickstarter. So you can support this book that you're interested in reading and get like this really cool kind of thing for it. Mm. This is expressly kind of undermining future sales at stores. Yeah. And not even mentioning that it's in a different format in the yeah. meantime. kind of a thing. Yeah. And that's, that just feels gross. That feels icky. Yeah. That part, that part is shitty. Uh, I, Rob Beatty says, um, pay before made, no, Brian, I will not fund the Zoom, which I think is sort of uh, related to it. Um, but, but with art, it's different. You know, I feel like I remember thinking when Arrested Development was being canceled after season three, I was like, why can we not just pay them? We can download it on iTunes afterwards. Why can't we just say, I will give you $3 now? If you will make more Arrested Development episodes, and enough, if enough people do it, then they make it. You know, um, well, that's what they did with the um, Veronica Mars movie, right? I believe like, so. Yeah, they got yeah. people to fund, like yeah. they funded up to a million, and because they funded a million, they Warner the was like, "I'll we'll cover the rest because right. you." Right. Yeah. And so I, it was, but I think you're right. Yeah. That that's a good way for that to go about. Like when you're talking about the image, these are two very similar things: one done in a good way, and one not done in a good way. Um, to support the ongoing nature of the book rather yeah, than to support I, I the would money have, from it. I would have supported, like, honestly, the only reason why I didn't, like, support the Kickstarter for the Scott Snyder book, I think it's called Nocturna, Noctura or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because I don't really dig Tony S. Daniel. No, but me neither. I, I like the idea, like, the idea of, of what they're trying to do in order to get the whole team paid before having to, to wait for trade paperback sales so they could, like, do their whole story. Great mm-hmm. idea. Awesome. Like you're big names and you'd probably be fine, but now you don't have to like wait months to pay your colorist and your letterer and your, mm-hmm. like, I thought that was cool. Yeah. That's smart. That's very smart. Yeah. And I'm not a big Tony Des Daniels fan either. And I'm becoming, to be honest, less and less of a Scott Snyder fan, mm-hmm. but um, I appreciate the idea behind their Kickstarter. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Uh, we have been, this has been fun. Yeah. This has been a fun episode, uh, edition of gutter talk. We hope that each and every one of you out there watching us on Facebook and Twitter and Twitch have enjoyed our regular Sunday spoiler alert, gutter talk jamboree. Um, shout out to JD who is going through, um, has some, some things that he had to deal with this morning. And that's why he couldn't be with us, uh, this morning ladies and gentlemen but god willing and the creek don't rise he will be back here sunday morning next week to to give you all of his thoughts and concerns on the comic books that we all have read this week and to join us in the borders of the comic book page for more gutter talk with you let's start with brian where can people reach you, Brian? Do you have anything that you want to promote real quick? I do. I'll tell you what. I did not know that the white spaces in the page were called gutters until I started uh, being invited on this show with you guys. Uh, oh. I had never heard that term before. And uh, I will promote my current knowledge of that term. You know what? Yeah. You you joke, but like uh, um, so we do we do with with JD Shop we do book clubs once a month also or twice a month, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and him and I started having a conversation about gutter loss with larger books. Mm-hmm. And mm. half of the panels of people's faces were just like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> so we ended up having like a really quick five minute tutorial about gutters, yeah. gutter loss, larger mm-hmm. start of the book, mm-hmm. hurts left to right. Like, yeah, it was, it was actually really funny. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I can be found at brianleibdesign.com. The sun just went away. Mm. Right. Not because of the, my website was there before. It didn't just, it did nothing to do with the sun. <laughs> uh, Brandon. Hi, uh, I'm Brandon. Um, you can catch me, I don't know, just chase me somewhere. I don't really have anything online, but uh, subscribe to the channel. Uh, big thanks to Brandon for putting time codes and links and stuff in these videos for later. Uh, if you like that, like the thing, and, it, and Brandon gets a hug from a <laughs> celestial spirit every time that you do. Yay. So like and subscribe. Brandon feels happy for it. Mm-hmm. And look at that man. He could use all the hugs he can get. <laughs> no, I just, just want to get you. Just hug you. Just get it. Oh, great. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, you could find me on Street Corner. Life's hard. <laughs> no, um, you, can, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Mr. Bartocci, M R B A R T O C C I, or on Facebook, YouTube. We do videos all week. Just jump on the cold pop social medias and we say, hey. You, can, you can't say that life is hard, Noel, as you sit no, there. No, it's not. We're literally, good. like, I'm all right. look, sitting in the midst of hey. a Downton Abbey library of comic books. <laughs> you cannot say that life is hard, my friend. Here's, here's the thing. I am constantly, so, so there's a bunch on there right now because I'm in the middle of a reorg mm. and dusting. <laughs> uh, but I get away with it because, I mean, you know, I get away with it in a funds sense with my significant other uh because i upcycle a lot mm. i sell things to fund things and back and forth mm. so it's the library is constantly in flux well done big fan of big fan oh he needs those omnibuses for food yeah i do eat the omnibus <laughs> yeah like a caterpillar or something yeah the ones the so the the top shelf over here this the 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 mar or the marvel set Mm-hmm. I eat one a month. <laughs> so, uh, so like, yeah, I, I physically eat one a month. So are you literally say, are you saving the history of the Marvel universe for Thanksgiving? Is that exactly uh, the history of the Marvel? <laughs> so it's because it's a treasury edition. It's more like junk food. <laughs> like, it, oh, it would have been it, a big a whole meal. Thing. It's a whole and universe. Single issues. Yeah. Single issues are like spices. <laughs> it's I, I, I eat. I eat. Absolutes are are like holiday meals. <laughs> that works out to more or less than food would be. Uh, it's it's more calorie dense because oh, it's it. like a hard cover and then the slipcase. Like yeah. it's it's more filling. I can do Why, this all day. You want to yes and me? <laughs> Um, ladies and gentlemen, you can find me any place that you find the Black Tribbles, my podcast and. Uh, YouTube channel. Go to at Black Tribbles on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Holler at a Tribble. Um, you can join us on Monday. This the next thing coming up Mondays at 9 p.m., where we bring you the Safe Tribble Travel Guide to Lovecraft Country, our weekly review of HBO's new hit series. 
show is dope. Thank you, thank you. Support the spoiler alert. Better talk jamboree. Yes. We you can also find JD at JD's Hero Complex. I was there. about to do that. Support ah. spoiler alert and the gutter talk jamboree. Just like uh Brian said, go to patreon.com slash Johnny Destructo. Feel free to email us all of your thoughts and concerns to JD's Hero Complex at gmail.com, or you can email them to blacktribbles at gmail.com if you like as well ladies and gentlemen um thank you each and every one of you for taking the time to sit with us and listen to us pontificate on comics and until we return again to your streaming visage next week in parting we say read the history of the marvel universe <laughs> Why the doctor